Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadee, karup, guten tak, jao, weevi, vakat, bang, half a day, jai janendra, Russian collusion, priviet, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, quarantined, isolated, sanitized, and veganized for your protection, socially distanced, as I have been most of my life, and fully masked, where if I look at my psychological profile, that's probably most of my life, too. Uh, who was that masked man, Mommy? Who knows? Could be anybody. Could be everybody. In my imagination, I uh, now see everyone in a mask as a revolutionary activist for animals and the vegan cause, or a bank robber. That's how I first felt when I started wearing the mask. I felt like, wow, I'm in the ALF, or there's a Wells Fargo branch right over here. They'd never know, right? But anyway... I prefer the vegan animal activist scenario for my own personal socially distanced illusion, if you don't mind. And um, so uh, every second that every person wears a mask to me now is a moment when no meat, dairy, fish, or eggs are passing through the lips there. So that's a good thing. Uh, but only in that instance can that mask now be considered an accessory to terrorism. Really, if you come right down to it, disrupting the profits of an animal enterprise is an act of terrorism according to the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act of uh, some years ago, some of the strangest legislation ever signed into law. Um, we're at the forefront. We're at the forefront of fashion. Who wore the masks first, right? The animal people. Um, the vegan. The vegan thing, huh? We were w way out in front before it became fashionable. And now... Um, terrorism legislation. We were the first, as insane as it seems, uh, if you affected the uh, profits of an animal enterprise, you could be convicted of being a terrorist. So actually this radio show, now a podcast, is a violation of the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. Uh, please uh, frisk yourself and uh, you know, you may be dangerous if you're listening. Uh, and do listen at least uh, six feet from your device, okay? So, um, just a helpful reminder that uh, if you find yourself being interrogated by anyone, by law enforcement, by the FBI, the CIA, you know, just don't say you're wearing the mask to avoid animal products from, you know, passing through your lips. Uh, again, that could be considered an act of terrorism, uh, or that may raise some suspicions about you. Maybe you're an anti-speciesist, anti-human supremacist, uh, anti-human uh, privilege 
uh, activist? Huh? That's what they may think. Maybe you want to destroy some statues, right? Maybe every statue with somebody riding a horse, right? Oppressed animals' lives don't matter so much, right? Their, their oppression is practically invisible. But uh, maybe not invisible to those wearing a mask as a, you know, as a revolutionary for animals. Yeah. Defund the police? Well, maybe just start with uh, defunding uh, the horses, right? Horses, horses don't want to be a part of the police department. Uh, while they may seem, um, you know, intimidating, you know, the, the, the horses are scared and uh, their health and safety are at risk also. So um, nobody, nobody, nobody should be in the police force uh, who doesn't want to be there. And I would say the horses do not want to be there. So the injustices that animals suffer often seem so trivial to people, right? Who even noticed that there were horses in the statues as they were coming down, huh? Yet, uh, isn't the uh, suffering, the uh, aren't the injustices suffered by animals, I don't know, maybe even the seed, the seed from which other injustices grow, you know? Animals aren't we, are they? And that is grammatically correct, by the way. Animals are not we. Um, they are the other, right? So if animals are not we, no, it's not animals are not us. Sorry, it's animals are not we. That's grammatically correct. Um, but they are the other. They are uh, the lesser. They're the powerless. They're the voiceless. In fact, maybe they're the most powerless, the most voiceless. Uh, we can eat them. We can wear them. We can test COVID vaccines on them. We humans are speciesist to the core, speciesist to the bone. And they're only animals, right? How, how can their lives possibly matter? You know, what do we want? Human supremacy. When do we want it? Well, we have it now already, so I guess we don't really have to demand that one, huh? What do we want? Human privilege. When do we want it? We have that now, too, so it's really not one of our demands. Um, who are some of the leading speciesists of our time? Why, it's the fake animal rights movement. Uh, many of those in it claim that... Uh, some of their best friends are animals, huh? But uh, their actions speak louder than words. You know, I've been a critic of the disgraceful, deplorable, humane society of the United States for many years. Um, its behavior certainly has provided enough material for that. And uh, now it's so bad, HSUS is suing whistleblowers former employees who are horrified over the conditions at HSUS hell holes that are supposed, supposed to be um, sanctuaries for rescued animals. Well, we'll discuss this today with Donnie Moss of Their Turn, who has been writing and tweeting about the latest uh, 
the latest betrayal of animals by HSUS, uh, which you know continues continues the pattern that's been going on for forever with that heinous organization. I would only trust the Humane Society of the United States if its next campaign, you know, isn't really one of its scampaigns. I would only trust HSUS if its next campaign were to be to take down every statue of everyone who ate meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Huh? What we really need is a garden of vegan hero statues somewhere. Uh, don't we? Isn't that what we need, really? A garden of vegan hero statues. But where is there enough land for that? A garden of vegan hero statues would include all the millions and millions of vegans around the world today, and uh, each one is a hero. Each one, each one saving countless lives. Each one saving the environment. Each one ending world hunger, each one ending mass extinction, the Garden of Vegan Hero Statues. Uh, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have to be, you know, statues, don't, heroes for statues don't have to be generals from, you know, a war or politicians or government leaders. Uh, no. Um, we're talking about heroes saving the world, saving all life on Earth, and they do it just by eating. I mean, they're not just heroes, they're superheroes, saving the world, saving the animals, saving the planet, saving their family's health, just by eating. Holy cow, that would be some garden, huh? Um, actually, the only way we could have enough land for that is if we all go vegan. If we all go vegan, according to the research of Joseph Poor at Oxford University, if we were to all go vegan, we would free up land the size of the U.S., Europe, Australia, and China combined for reforestation, species recovery, and perhaps have enough land left over for a garden of vegan heroes. That would be so wonderful, wouldn't it? Okay. Anyhow, uh, this is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. As I mentioned, we have Donnie Moss coming up from their turn. He'll be talking about, uh, oh, you know, I, I, I tried for so long to just put it out of my mind, but, you know, here comes the new boss, same as the old boss, HSUS. Uh, please support this program with a tax-deductible donation. You can find the donate button at goveganradio.com. On Facebook, we are Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. Oh, you can uh, become a, a supporter uh, the Patreon way on the website at goveganradio.com, where you will find over 600 archive programs to keep you busy in your own personal quarantined isolation. Okay, Donnie Moss coming up next on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden.
Yeah, I mean, infighting and and uh, is bad enough, and then airing that infighting publicly is even worse in many ways. And so I was really reluctant to uh, go public with. Uh, my own story and to amplify the story of two whistleblowers who HSU is suing. But at some point I decided that my silence was just detrimental to the chimps, to the whistleblowers. And um, so I, I decided to come forward. I did. You know, I can only talk about my own touch points and also, I guess, the stories that others have relayed since I've sort of gone public with my experience.
But Bob, what is it? Why do they do that? What is their motivation? And how did they explain that, Bob? How did they rationalize that to people who people who you know send twenty dollars a month and think that they're supporting animal rights? How do they explain it? Well, that's that's not an answer.
Right. You know, to be to you know, for to to be fair, so many of the people, you know, regular sort of grassroots animal rights activists or people who simply had the best interest in the of the animals in mind, they might see something like, you know, in a better cages and say, far be it for me to oppose larger cages. Uh, you know, and that's obviously it's problematic for a few reasons. But, you know, I was, um, you know, direct action everywhere, you know, an animal liberation group that has chapters around the world took me uh, to see a, a, a compliant egg farm in the middle of the night and as part of an open rescue that they did. And I saw with my own eyes what a, quote, enriched colony cage looks like. And it's it, it and it was hard to imagine anything worse than that. Well, well, let me just interrupt you to say this. You know, I, I'm not privy to all of the sort of the the inside baseball that you're uh, um, disc describing, but I will tell you that when I was inside of this sort of enriched colony cage factory farm with DXE, I mean, D uh, Wayne was going out of his way to explain sort of this humane fantasy, the humane uh, that's perpetuated by industry to make people feel good about eating these eggs. So. Uh, yeah, I'm there are compli I'm sure that there are complications uh, when you have the inter you know 501c3 organizations that have to raise money in order to survive.
But at the same time, at the same time, you know, I hear them talking about, you know, how there's no humane way to kill someone who wants to live. I mean, that's that's language that they they've conveyed. But, you know, these I guess, I guess these issues are complicated. Right. And uh, Bob, how about pandemics? You know, now everybody, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And uh, Bob, when you would you say go vegan, I think a lot of people or at least some people who are listening are thinking go vegan, you know, in, in terms of what you eat. But I mean, and you and I know this, but does everybody know that, you know, the vegan ethic, you know, if, if we subscribe to the vegan ethic, that means we're not only not eating animal products, we're not wearing them or being entertained by them or using them in experiments and and all of that. And so and so that's. Right. And so that's why that's relevant. You know, go vegan is relevant to, a, you know, a sanctuary or for, for any of the issues we work on. Veganism is relevant.
Right. They're not as defensive when people go vegan for uh, environmental reasons or for health reasons, then they, they don't feel the need to be defensive about eating animals anymore. So they're willing to embrace the the animal rights angle. I, th I think that's what happens. Um, do, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, it's easy for them to go ahead and say, oh, yeah, for the animals, too. I care about the animals, too, because they've already made a decision to not eat them. Uh, but for people who are not vegan, they are defensive about their, quote, right to continue eating animals. I mean, Bob, we're living in, we're all living in quarantine now to some extent because people eat animals. And Bob, you might remember for a few minutes during the Amazon fires, what was that in 2019, when the whole world was focused on the Amazon burning down, the mainstream public was for a few minutes talking about, you know, burning down the fact that the Amazon was being burned down to graze cattle and grow crops to feed those cattle. And so the message is sort of tr not the animal rights message, but the environmental message was trickling its way into the mainstream through the pandemic, through the fires. I mean, it's not enough. Right. I mean, Bob, it's, it's so bad that even at the, you know, these these uh, environmental marches when Greta Thunberg was front and center, we, you know, those of us who were promoting a, you know, vegan message at these marches, we felt like a little bit like pariahs when, you know, people should be joining, you know, to see people lining up at a Nathan's hot dog stand during one of these climate marches was surreal.
Would it disconnect? Right. And the individuals still want to eat bacon themselves, you know, beyond the infiltration. People don't want to change their own behavior and going vegan would require them to change their own behavior. The irony is it's not even hard, but that's, you know, that's a separate, maybe that's a separate discussion. Bob, I remember that climate march. It started on Central Park West. If that's the one, it was huge. And at the end of that march ended near the Javits Center and there was a big sort of street fair and it was filled with food carts selling meat. It was, the disconnect was just mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, Ocean dead zones. I mean, the list, the list of the ways in which animal agriculture destroys the environment is endless, but it, sh it shouldn't, e there shouldn't even need to be any, it should be enough that we're terrorizing animals. That in and of itself should be a reason to, for people to stop eating them and, and putting them in cages for display and experimenting on them. But, but. <laughs> Right. So it's so bizarre, and so many people who support them really have no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. 
It's more pernicious than anyone could imagine. I mean, if you really peel back the layers of the onion, it's just so it's just so dangerous. But look, it's it's your you know, thankfully, you have this platform where you can educate the public. And I have a platform where I can, too. And neither of us has these conflicts of interest that um, that stop us from being honest. Yeah, I remember seeing that. It, did that t turn out to be true or was that what well, I don't know what the outcome of that was. Uh -huh. I, don't, I don't know about that. I remember it happened, but I, I, I there were so many people who said this po can't possibly be. But and I and then, then I then I didn't hear about it anymore. Yeah. Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I mean, it was really what happened was there were two former employees of Project Chimps, uh, Crystal Alba and Lindsay Vanderhoot, who blew the whistle on animal cruelty, really egregious animal cruelty, uh, neglect, poor veterinary care, deprivation um, at this sanctuary where they worked. And, and, if, and first, I mean, they spent a considerable amount of time trying to affect change from within, particularly Crystal, who was employed there for at least a year while trying to affect change from within and was ultimately fired and then went public. You know, she had a lot of documentation and she put it, put it up on hell on a website, I guess, in conjunction with Lindsay, who's the other defendant in this lawsuit that HSUS brought against them. They put it up on a website called helpthechimps.org. And, uh, and when HSUS brought this lawsuit against them, 
I, because of my own experience at another HSUS chimpanzee sanctuary, which happens in Liberia, and it all happens sort of in secrecy, because who's there to oversee what's happening? Um, I thought, I need to speak up. I, I need to validate what these two women are saying and relay my own experiences with what HSUS is doing in, you know, to chimpanzees at, at this other sanctuary. So um, back in the 70s, uh, a big blood bank in New York called the New York Blood Center wanted to conduct research experiments on chimpanzees. And rather than doing it in New York City or the U.S., they decided to um, uh, lease uh, an, an empty lab in Liberia where there would a be less oversight, you know, and regulation where and it would be their work would be cheaper. But also there was a population of wild chimpanzees in Liberia. So the blood center went to Liberia, hired local hunters to hunt down wild chimps. They bred those chimps in captivity. And over the course of uh, uh, maybe about 20, 30 years, excuse me, the blood center conducted experiments on approximately 500 chimpanzees. Well, the, they made a commitment at the time, the New York blood center to retire the survivors to six islands on a river, uh, you know, an hour and a half outside of the capital. So sort of in a remote river called the Farmington river. And, and they did that. And so there were about um, 66 survivors who were living on these islands. Uh, and the New York Blood Center was for about seven years paying locals long after they finished their research experiments. They were paying locals who were, you know, lived in Liberia to, to deliver food and water every other day, which is a crime in and of itself, because who, who gets fed only every other day and water every other day? In any case, um, in 2015, the New York Times reported that the New York Blood Center decided to cut off all funding to the chimps and and um, and shift the responsibility to the Liberian government. Well, in 2015, the Liberian government was in the throes of a an Ebola outbreak. And even without the Ebola outbreak, the government doesn't have the resources to take care of the chimp, uh, this chimp population that the New York Blood Center created. So along with a, a group of grassroots activists in New York City, coupled with um, an activist in Florida, you might know Bob Ingersoll from Project NIM, other activists around the country, we got together and we decided to hold the New York Blood Center accountable. And so by protesting at the homes of the board members, the offices of the board members of the New York Blood Center, even at the homes of their largest corporate donors, after two years of sort of an escalation of protests, the New York Blood Center caved into pressure and wrote a check for $6 million to pay for the lifelong care of the chimps. That check went to the Humane Society of the United States because when the New York Blood Center first abandoned the chimps, um, a, a scientist, a researcher who was working in Liberia, learned from a local about what was happening. She saw the chimps on the islands herself, and she she called the HSUS. That's what she had heard of. And HSUS, to its credit, um, put up a fundraiser and started sending money to to do uh, uh, feedings every. Uh, hopefully, I think it turned into every day for the chimps. Um, and so the six million that 
we grassroots activists got for HSUS was intended to improve the welfare of the chimps. But in five years, HSUS hasn't built, created any infrastructure at all. So there's no way on these six islands to isolate a sick chimp. Um, and there's no there's no a clinic on the mainland where a chimp could get veterinary care. These were chimps who uh, were raised in captivity and in horrific cages and they're not they're not wild animals they need care and there's no way to provide care for them because hsus hasn't spent that money to do what it was supposed to do which was to create an infrastructure to provide them with care so i'll just give you one example of how this is a problem so you've got about 60 chimps now living on six different islands recently a, a one chimpanzee named comfort was got bitten by a snake and because there was no way to isolate that chimp on the island quickly and because there was no clinic, that chimp ended up uh, they, they ended up they managed the New York. I'm sorry. HSUS's staff on the ground managed to get that chimp off the island and put that chimp back in one of the NYBC, the blood center cages on the mainland. This horrific concrete prison cell, which would have been highly traumatic for this chimp, ended up, because they waited too long, ended up having to amputate both legs and then ultimately euthanize the chimp. So this chimp spent her last days in absolute pain, panic, and terror. And that did not need to happen if HSUS has simply invested in the infrastructure after five years of being, of, of, of being um, on the ground in Liberia. They got that check for $6 million, Bob, in 2017. It's 2020. How have they not done this? Have they not done this work? And, and it all takes place in secrecy. Oh. Yeah, they sent, they sent me a six-page letter that was just filled with lies. The, you know, they sent me a six-page letter in response to an article that I put up on my website, Their Turn, in which I say why I'm blowing the whistles I'm sorry, why I'm blowing the whistle on HSUS. And in that in that article, I, I use my own experience in Liberia to explain why I'm supporting the whistleblowers in Georgia, Christy, uh, Crystal and Lindsay. And so. Oh, right. First of all, I've been to Liberia twice. So so what so when um, and, you know, and I definitely want to get to Lindsay and Crystal because they're the ones who are being sued right now by HSUS. Uh, but the uh, when HSUS was contacted by this researcher in Liberia, who uh, an American researcher who heard about this and HSUS stepped in. Uh, they hired an American couple, Jenny and Jim Desmond. Jim Desmond is a, 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 a veterinarian, and, and this couple has a tremendous amount of primate sanctuary experience. And to its credit, HSUS hired this highly qualified couple to move to Liberia to oversee the care of the chimps on the islands. And what, and, but there was a horrible falling out. And what happened was the Desmonds, the government, the Liberian government began to bring the Desmonds baby chimpanzees who were orphaned by the bushmeat trade and the exotic pet trade. And the Desmonds took them in because if they had turned them away, first of all, those chimps would be packed up in a box and sent to God knows where, but also because with, with, by turning away chimps, the government, the forestry authorities would then turn a blind 
blind eye to the trafficking of chimps and would turn a blind eye to the poaching of chimps. So they felt they had to take in these chimps and HSUS told them not to. And so that led to a falling out whereby HSUS decided they weren't going to work with the Desmonds anymore and didn't replace them for a year. And so so the care of the chimps in Liberia uh, just deteriorated. So for instance, when I went the first time, while the Desmonds weren't overseeing the care of the chimps on the islands, the 66 chimps on the islands, the chimps were getting daily enrichment and the quality of the produce they were eating was high. And then when I went back the second time, all of that kind of disappeared because the Desmonds were no longer in charge. They were leaving the care of the chimps in the hands of locals who quite quite frankly, have a bigger, you know, are trying, are trying to survive in a country that's where the quality of life is much more difficult or, uh, than it is here. And so, you know, they should have never uh, severed ties with the Desmonds. The Desmonds continue to be on the ground in Liberia. They now have about 60 chimps in their care separate from, from the chimps, the New York Blood Center chimps. And they, without any of, of HSUS's money, are, are right now, as we speak, building a massive sanctuary for the chimps in their care in the jung- in the forest so that the, 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 the individuals who they're rescuing from this horrific exotic pet trade and bushmeat trade so that those survivors can live as natural a life as possible. If the two of them can do it, how is it possible to build this infrastructure? How is it possible that HSUS, with its six million plus all of the other money they raised and are continuing to raise off these chimps, how is it possible that HSUS has built nothing? And, and Bob, can you imagine the chutzpah telling the nerve to tell the Desmonds that they should turn away the babies that the government was dropping off uh, on their doorstep because they knew that the Desmonds had the capacity and the ability and experience to rescue these orphans? And HSUS told them to turn them away? It's, it's, it's so cruel and unnecessary. And caring for those chimps in Liberia is so much less expensive than it is caring for the chimps here, it's so inexpensive, in fact, that the Desmonds just did it out of their own pockets when HSUS severed ties with them. Um, so anyway, very frustrating. Yeah. No, you know what? Six million is that's the amount that our grassroots effort, by the way, which they took complete credit for in the media, but that is the amount that we raised for inadvertently for HSUS, right? HSUS raised hundreds upon hundreds of thousands, if not more, on their own through a GoFundMe campaign that they put up. There were celebrities that gave hundreds of thousands of dollars, is my understanding. There were thousands of individuals who made And as soon as, Bob, I have one more thing to, to add on that point. As After that $6 million check was cut, it didn't even occur to me that HSUS would continue to fundraise off of the chimps, you know, who the New York Blood Center had abandoned. But they were still fundraising off of these chimps, even though they had $6 million to pay for their care. And so activists were calling me saying, hey, I thought our job was done here. I thought we raised that money already. And so...
why is HSUS continuing to raise money off of these chimps? People have said, I mean, this is really cynical, that the only reason HSUS is running this sanctuary at all is because it's a good fundraising tool for them to show these pictures of, of chimps on these islands. You know what? It's funny that you should say that because I think the only infrastructure that HSUS did create was to put signs up on all six of the islands where the chimps are, signs that say HSUS. They, they could figure out how to get that done, but they couldn't figure out how to get infrastructure that would actually help the chimps done. It, it, it's abhorrent. And you know what, Bob? I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that, you know, when they step in and take credit off of other grassroots organizations work and then they fundraise off of other people's works, that that's really bad for the animals, too. It it it, it stifles uh, as uh, it's as Michael Budkey from Stop Animal Experimentation now uh, uh, said, it's. Yeah, he you know, it stifles innovation. It It, it, it curbs. Uh, the ability of activists on the ground from from doing this sort of pro provocative and innovative work for animals when a big group like HSUS just steps in, as it did with me. I mean, I, I, when we got that $6 million, HSUS had nothing, really nothing to do with that victory. In fact, HSUS would never engage in the kinds of protests that led to that $6 million check being written. Right. And, you know, they marginalized us while this was happening. Like, look at these crazy people. In the meantime, as soon as we got that victory, they sent out the press release taking credit for it as if they had as if they were responsible for earning that six million dollars. There was no mention anywhere. There was no mention anywhere. I mean, they're saying that they don't have enough money to take care of the chimps on the islands, which is why they're raising more and more money. Uh, but it's it's so insulting because the cost of, you know, granted, food costs money and the trucks that they, you know, and there's a staff of people and there's a boat that needs to go out to the islands. But this is this is pennies for HSUS and to suggest that the six million plus, however many extra hundreds of thousands for millions that they raised isn't enough. It's so insulting. Uh, as you said, they have all this money in the bank. How dare they?
It feels like a fundraising. It feels like a fundraising organization masquerading as an animal advocacy group. That's what it feels like. I agree. Look, when I was running that campaign to hold the New York Blood Center accountable for abandoning the chimps and to demand that they pay for the care of the chimps, every poster, every I paid for every thousands of dollars out of my own savings for that. And did the HSUS ever once offer to help? Uh, no. In fact, HSUS held one event in front of the New York Blood Center, probably spent thousands of dollars on posters for a one-time event, and when I asked them if I could use those posters because they were expensive, big posters with photographs of the chimps who were abandoned, I said I'll even cut off the HSUS logo so that there's no, no reference to HSUS so that they wouldn't be associated with us. The answer was no. What they used, they spent thousands of dollars for a one-time protest and wouldn't let me use the posters. How disgusting. We'll hold off on throwing up until we're done talking because there's still a lot to say, Bob. Absolutely. So when Crystal and Lindsay, when I learned that, and I can't even remember how I learned about it, but when I learned that these two were being sued for blowing the whistle on it, Oh, right. So so uh, Project Chimps is a new-ish chimpanzee sanctuary, and there's all kinds of sort of sordid history behind why this was even created in the first place when there were all these other chimpanzee sanctuaries that could have accommodated these chimps if they had the money. But Project Chimps was, I think, law, uh, was opened maybe in about 2015, 16. I, can't, I don't hold me to it. Sometime around then, but it's a relatively new sanctuary. And uh, was taking was taking chimps from the New Iberia lab, and uh, and I they hired uh, people, and among the first uh, people hired was Lindsay Vanderhoot, and she and Crystal, and she left maybe after a year or so, um, and then uh, and then this woman Crystal was there. And they were two of 22 people who wrote a letter to the board, two of 22 employees, current and former employees and volunteers. And, you know, some of whom were vets, some of whom were animal caregivers, all different sort of aspects of work on the sanctuary. And they sent a letter to the to the board of directors of Project Chimps, which is the same as HSUS. Project Chimps is an HSUS sanctuary, although HSUS is trying to distance itself from it and pretend like it's independent, which is a whole other sort of subject and 
and I don't understand why they're being so dishonest about it. That's that's a separate issue. So what the problems that that they raised at Project Chimps really resonated with me because I saw similar problems in Liberia. That is, they didn't have a veterinarian. They had a dog and cat vet who had no experience with chimpanzees and was uh, and that there were chimps who were in trouble. Uh, there was sort of basic veterinary care that the chimps weren't receiving, but then there were chimps who were in distress who weren't getting proper care. So there were, and so they they furnished multiple examples. You know, after trying to affect change from within, they put up this website, helpthechimps.com, to sound the alarm bells because they weren't getting anywhere. And that's what a problem. Helpthechimps.org, and and it was I I'm assuming that it was that website. You know, and that exposure that triggered HSUS to to sue them for defamation, um, and um, and 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 that's where I and others, you know, jumped in to help them because you know a lot of the big groups that know the truth about what's going, the sanctuaries and other animal advocacy groups that know the truth about what's going on at HSUS have some sort of conflict of interest which prevents them from speaking out. About so it, it it becomes incumbent on independent activists like me who have nothing to lose, I guess, to to speak out and defend these whistleblowers. Like if no one came to their defense, if we allowed HSUS to silence them and intimidate them and to bankrupt them, that's really going to prevent other whistleblowers from coming forward at other institutions where animals are being uh, exploited. In fact, a, re- a reporter told me on the phone, she said that she's already heard of incidents where other people who have witnessed abuse were afraid to come forward for fear of HSUS style retaliation. That is so dangerous that HSUS is taking a page out of the animal agriculture industry's playbook and using it against their own or, you know, or who would, you know, we think that they're their own. You know what I mean? Uh, and Right. That's. I, maybe I should put their own in quotes. So in any case, what, what Crystal and Lindsay exposed was not only poor veterinary care, but also um, uh, a poor enrichment. And, you know, one of the things that upset me the most was the fact that, you know, these chimps might only have access to the out, their outdoor habitats for 10 hours a week. That's not, that's not nearly enough. Uh, that's, that's really neglect and deprivation. Uh, and so rather than continuing to bring in chimps and bring in more chimps, they need to figure out how to take care of the ones that they have, give them proper veterinary care, proper enrichment, uh, and proper infrastructure. You know, make sure that the, 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 the site is safe. Uh, for the chimps and the humans before they continue to, to just bring in more, uh, which is what they appear to be doing. And so, you know, what's interesting is when they blew the whistle, when Crystal and Lindsay blew the whistle, the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, GFAS, which is partial, was founded with, you know, one of the founding board members was from HSUS and one of the current board members works at HSUS. In spite of that, GFAS went in, did an inspection and made they haven't published their full report yet, and I don't know why, but it's suspicious. But it, but they publicly um, made seven recommendations for you know, the improvement of the welfare of the animals. Well, those recommendations basically echo the things that Lindsay, the two whistleblowers, were saying. 
So in spite of the fact that they're now implementing the very recommendations made by the whistleblowers, they're continuing to sue them and, and claiming that the, the allegations of mistreatment are false. So if they were false, then why are they making, why are they implementing these reforms now? And by the way, one more point, National Geographic last night published a story about this, an extensive story um, called uh, Sanctuary for Retired Lab Chimps Embroiled in Dispute Over Quality of Its Care. And the subtitle is more than 20 former staffers and volunteers say Project Project Chimps is plagued by problems. Now the Georgia Sanctuary is suing two of its most outspoken critics. And it goes into great detail and it really validates what the whistleblowers have been trying to say. And, you know, I suspect this won't be the end of the mainstream media coverage about this scandal. But HSUS is digging in its heels. It's doubling down on its message that these allegations are false and that these are just disgruntled employees. When, Bob, you know, for whatever whatever my opinion is worth, these are some of the most credible, pure advocates I have ever encountered. Um, and, um, you know, and I believe them not only because of uh, my interactions with them and not only because of the website they put up with all of this evidence, but also because I saw the same similar mistreatment in Liberia with my own eyes. It's also it's all it's a it's a culture that prioritizes image over animal care. So if it's if there's a donor visit, then they'll quickly make sure the animals are outside in their outdoor habitat. You know, but but the decisions aren't made based on the welfare of their animals. The decisions are based on on image and fundraising. It's like the animals are an afterthought. Um, and they they provide so many examples on SaveTheChimps.org. So I would encourage people to go and visit that website because, you know, there are just so many examples and so many. Right. I mean, a priority should be given to outdoor habitat access, not putting up a ropes course for tourists. I mean, they have I mean, the idea that these these chimps went from a laboratory to what they what we all thought would be a 
sanctuary, but are concrete enclosures with just sort of like enrichment that has just declined over time as they documented on helpthechimps.org. It's just so inexcusable. These poor chimps have been through so much already. The least we could do is maximize the amount of time they have access to an outdoor habitat. Look, it's not the it's not the jungle or the forest where they should be living, but it's certainly better than a concrete cell which is where they spend the vast majority of their time. There's just no excuse for that. I also want to point out one more thing, Bob, and that is that, you know, of course people are going to ask, well, wait, you're spending our donor dollars to sue whistleblowers who came forward to report animal cruelty? You're spending our money on that? And so Project Chimps, which is HSUS, issued a statement saying that the the legal services were donated, you know, on a pro bono basis by this law firm called Safarth, which is, you know, has offices around the country. It's a very big law firm. Uh, and uh, how is it possible that a that a law firm would dedicate pro bono resources to to an organization suing whistleblowers who came forward with credible uh, documentation of animal abuse. It's just a weird use of pro bono resources. Um, oh yeah, the law firm isn't responding to any of my messages, but I learned today that HSUS is using this law firm on a different case where, uh, so it's, you know, I think, well, I'm going to guess, this is, this is a guess that what could be happening is that HSUS is paying this law firm for some of the work that this law firm does for HSUS, and then they, they're doing this case pro bono, unless they're not, unless Project Chimp slash HSUS was lying about this being pro bono. But I have asked that question of the law firm um, on, in multiple emails, and they haven't responded to anything. Are you doing this work? Are you suing these whistleblowers, you know, on a pro bono basis? And they're, they're simply not responding to my messages. So I'm going to write about it on my website and that's going to come up in a google search that this law firm is 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 you know at a time when democracy is under an attack i mean whistleblowers are important to exposing corruption in society and to use pro your pro bono lawyers to or to use your lawyer to They have to be second guessing their decision to do that, you know, you know. No. I got a six-page letter, Bob, I got a six-page letter from Katie Conley at HSUS in response to my article on my website, theirturn.net, about, you know, about Project Chimps in the Liberia Sanctuary, and it, it's lies from start to finish, or it's just misrepresenting what's actually happening. Call them lies, call them misrepresentations. It's just so fundamentally dishonest. It's like, I don't even know where to begin like I would have to take a, it could take me a day just to respond to all of the.
lack of that lack of expertise and management that's not motivated first and foremost by the welfare of the chimps. And also, Bob, and you know this more than anyone, HSUS is such a political organization with so much bureaucracy and so much red tape that they can't get out of their own way. Um, and so that probably also plays a role in things moving very slowly. Um, I, you know, that I, I'm, I'm hypothesizing there, but it feels like they can't get out of their own way. In addition to all the other things. And, and Bob, you know, it, you're talking about some of the systemic problems there that absolutely are inexcusable and need to be addressed. But there were also sort of individual acts of cruelty that I learned about that, you know, and sometimes you, you hear about one individual and that's more powerful than hearing about a billion, you know, animals. You know, when you hear there was one chimpanzee, um, I can't remember the chimpanzee's name, but uh, one of the defendants, uh, one of the whistleblowers, Crystal, was telling me that the, that the one the water, one of the water systems was broken. And so this chimpanzee was unable to get water from the water dispenser because the water dispenser would like sort of explode in, in, in his face when he went to drink water from it. And so he stopped drinking water from it. And so Crystal would sort of bring this chimpanzee cups of water or some sort of way to access water until this problem was fixed. And Crystal was, was instructed not to do that. And so the chimpanzee was crying every time Crystal walked by because because he was so thirsty. And so then Crystal had to sneak when no one was looking, sneak water to this chimpanzee. Um, you know, it's 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 just so it's just so cruel. And, you know, they would say this chimpanzee needs to learn how to deal with this water system. You know, if, if it's if it's shooting out water in a way it's not supposed to be, the chimp needs to learn how to how to do that. No, that's not the solution. Fix the water system so that the chimp isn't terrified by his water source. And of of course, HSUS would dispute that or Project Chimps. Like I said, it's the same thing. They would dispute that or spin the story in the way that they do. But based on my own experience in Liberia and based on all of the evidence that the whistleblowers provided, I believe them. You know, I strive to be. What? Yeah. I, I don't even I didn't I don't even remember hearing about that one. Um, there was 
Yeah, there was so much documentation. There was so much evidence. And, and thankfully, National Geographic, Na- National Geographic rose to the occasion and reported on this. So I would tell, I would advise your listeners to read about it for themselves, not only in helpthechimps.org, but also if you go to the National Geographic website um, and look up Project Chimps, they could read, you know, from a third party, a third party that, by the way, includes the, uh, includes the many quotes from HSUS or Project Chimps to let their, you know, to convey their point of view. But it's so clear in this article um, that the whistleblowers and all of the others who came forward in that letter were making, you know, very valid arguments, uh, so much so that National Geographic was willing to write this very extensive article. Um, I, you know, my gut feeling tells me they wouldn't have done this if they didn't believe that this was, there was a lot of validity to this. First of all, how rude, how rude is that? You know, when you have 22 current and former staff members who are pleading with you uh, to improve welfare conditions and giving you very specific examples, clearly that letter, which is, you know, it's a long letter, was a a major job for all of these individuals to put together and to be dismissed in three sentences. And by the way, Project Chimps and HSUS don't do themselves any favor by just summarily dismissing all of their concerns in a three sentence letter, like nothing of what you've said is valid. Well, one is the USDA, right? As if the USDA, which is run by a a sunny Purdue, right? I mean, as if the USDA is focused on the, on the welfare of animals, that's number one. And for the, for HSUS to, to, to use the USDA to, as as an example of a of a third party that has, you know, by, by the way, the USDA was there for a couple of hours, is my understanding. Uh, and another one of the organizations that conducted an inspection was the Global Federation of Animals uh, Sanctuaries, which HSUS contributes to. So there's a clear conflict of interest, and one of HSUS's employees is on the board of that organization. Nevertheless, the organization came forward with seven concrete recommendations to improve the welfare of the animals. And those recommendations simply echo what the whistleblowers themselves said. Yet HSUS continues to say that the allegations are unfounded and and dismisses the letter from 20 people who are just all disgruntled employees or, you know, it's so, it's so absurd. With Well, I'll definitely let them know. And, um, you know, I maybe, you know, there'll come a time where they can do stuff like that. Well, look, I mean, there are other primate sanctuaries, you know, specifically chimpanzee sanctuaries around the country, around the world. I mean, the sanctuary community is small. People speak to each other. 
people are aware of the problems at Project Chimps, but it's difficult when one sanctuary comes out against another. You know, it's not so. So the people who are the who are in the best position to to sound the alarm are the least able to because they travel in these circles or they get money from the same sources, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's why, as I said, it's incumbent upon people like us to speak out on behalf of these chimps and to speak out on behalf of the whistleblowers. And I can assure you these other sanctuaries and advocacy groups that can't speak out for one reason or another are grateful that we're doing this and cheerleading from behind. They just can't do it themselves. And so that's, Right. Uh, well, a couple of things. The first is go to helpthechimps.org, and there's a page on that website that tells people what they can do. So Crystal and Lindsay, you know, made sure that people would have something that they could do. And uh, unfortunately, Crystal and Lindsay need uh, support for their legal defense fund because it's going to be expensive to defend themselves against HSUS's lawsuit. So until HSUS drops this lawsuit, they need to pay lawyers to defend them. And so they have a legal defense fund. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I think you can just find it on GoFundMe. Uh, a good question. Um, search. I'm just doing a quick search on GoFundMe. Project Chimps. Let me see if it comes up when I type, type up Project Chimps. Um, uh, yeah, it's the first thing that comes up. I just typed in GoFundMe Project Chimps, and it's the very first thing that comes up. It says HSUS affiliated chimp sanctuary sues former caregivers. They've raised fourteen thousand dollars, which is you know very little relative to what they're going to need to raise uh, if HSUS doesn't drop this lawsuit. Can you imagine that we have to take money out of our pockets, money that could be going to the animals? And Right. And that this lawsuit that's allegedly doing this work for Project Chimp slash HSUS on a pro bono basis, they could be they could be instead suing factory farms, uh, you know, or all, you know, really helping animals. Instead, they're helping an organization silence people who care about animals. It's so twisted. All of it. Oh, there are a million things that this money, but, but because HSUS is suing these whistleblowers, now we are in a position where we really need to contribute to their legal defense fund. Because if we don't help that, first of all, they deserve it. But if we don't help them, um, in this case, which I'm sure they'll win if, if HSUS doesn't drop it, but if we don't help them, then other whistleblowers are going to be afraid to come forward. Other potential whistleblowers, I should say. And so,
I mean, I'd rather they use that money in Liberia to uh, that we got that was specifically earmarked for Liberia to actually build the infrastructure to help those chimps. They could do it. Right. One of the one of the, the board one of the board members sent me a letter basically in response to so the co-chair of the board sent me a letter saying please basically please stop directing your communications to the board members and instead communicate directly with Kitty Block who is the CEO of HSUS and so and so I looked up who is this Susan Atherton who's telling me not to communicate with her this is the co-chair of the board of HSUS so I Google her. She's wearing Fendi fur accessories on her leather purse, and she in one picture, another picture, she's 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 wearing a an Hermes Birkin bag, which is a bag that can cost tens of thousands, a leather handbag that costs tens of thousands of dollars, Hermes Birkin bag. And there's another picture she posted of her closet of handbags. And I sent these pictures to someone who works in fashion, who used to work in, you know, conventional fashion. And then now is a vegan fashion designer. And she she identified all the brands for me. And she, she knew exactly what they were. All real leather and real fur. This is the co-chair of the board of HSUS. And I have other pictures. This is who's suing. This is who's suing these whistleblowers. That's who's suing the whistleblowers. People who wear fur, while simultaneously putting out yesterday, I think, or the day before, put out an sort of a fur, a fox fur, fur farm investigation. In the meantime, the co-chair of the board is posing for photos wearing fox fur. I mean, Jesus. Well, it was in two thousand. Um, it was in two thousand five that I stumbled upon a vegetarian festival. I don't even remember what it was called at the time. And I walked in, and there were free samples. And who doesn't love free samples? And I left with a DVD. This is the days where we used to watch DVDs in our computer. Uh, so this was two thousand August of two thousand five. I walked in, I popped this DVD called Meet Your Meat into my computer. It was a, a, a 12, 10 or 12 minute documentary film narrated by Alec Baldwin about, you know, factory farms and slaughterhouses. And I practically collapsed and I went vegan on the spot. I didn't know, I didn't know any vegans, I don't think. I barely even heard the word. It just wasn't even, but I just couldn't believe that I was sitting down three times a day to eat animals and animal products and I never really gave any thought at all to where it came from I was 32 years old and I felt like an idiot like how am I 32 and I don't I never considered the animals and I was an animal lover Right. Well, anyway, that was all it took. And I went vegan overnight. 
And I thought that when I took that DVD around and showed it to Kino because I was frantic, Bob, when I saw that footage, I took it to all of my friends and I thought that everybody, as soon as they saw that, would go vegan. I was so naive. Nobody did. Nobody went vegan. And so, it, it, you know, I think that there's some people who are just wired. You know, I think those of us in the movement are just sort of maybe wired in a different way or something that we saw that and something happened to us and it changed us to the core or, or it brought out who we really are. And some people just aren't wired that way. Maybe it's going to take the environment dying or the planet dying. Maybe it's going to take their own physical health dying. But something's got to do it because everyone needs to make the switch to a plant-based diet and a cruelty-free vegan lifestyle. Right. Totally. I get my pleasure. So much pleasure comes from eating still, you know, and granted 15 years ago, Labor Day will be 15 years since I made the switch to a plant based diet. Uh, but when I did this, we didn't have all of these, you know, all meat and dairy and egg and ice cream alternatives made from plants. They just did some, a little bit existed, but nothing like what we have now. It really, it's not a sacrifice. It's an upgrade. I feel so, so lucky to be able to. Unbelievable. I'm sure. One of a million options, Tofu. None, Bob, literally none. There were. Wow. Right.
well, Bob, don't beat yourself up. We did, you didn't have the access to the information. So, I mean, you were really a pioneer, so ahead of your time. The irony being now that's like a popular name for vegan restaurants, the butcher's daughter. Right. I think we have one in New York City or we have like one or two butcher's daughters in New York City. And I think there's one in Berkeley. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? The butcher's son. But. If someone told you 36 years ago, Bob, that there would be vegan Jewish delicatessens and vegan pizzerias and vegan French bistros, what, what would you have said? Uh, wouldn't, wasn't that unthinkable? It was, it was like not an, avail <laughs> not an available thought for me. I said, so this is it. This is 15 years ago when there were far more options than when you did it 36 years ago. But I said, so this is it. You know, I was, I, my favorite, my go-to food, my favorite comfort food was, uh, was a devil's food cake. I was able to, I, well, I was living in London at the time, not New York City. And I was able to find one piece of vegan devil's food cake. And it was awful. Uh, of course, now these things are delicious, but and I would buy it, you know, I would make a trip down into downtown London, Piccadilly Circus, you know, once a week to get my 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 horrible vegan devil's food cake. And and, and I was happy with it. I was just happy to, to think now we have vegan bakeries. Bob, we have so many vegan bakeries in New York. I used to have to go out of my way to find them. Now I have to go out of my way to avoid them. There's, so the point is, there's no excuse anymore. Whatever someone thinks that they can't eat, there's a, there's an alternative. And you know those cupcakes at Safeway are a case in point. You can't go anywhere without finding delicious options. Right. No bovine mammary secretions in my cupcakes.
I was in I, I was in the and this in this egg farm, which was the egg farm that I was in was so quote good that the New York Times wrote an article called "Where Hens Live the Good Life." It was held up as a prop to compliant facility in California. It was and this was it was beyond horrific, worse than anything I could have ever imagined. And I saw the the excrement coming out of the eggs and the blood and the tumors. And this is the best of the best. Right. I just didn't want to believe that the Bob, it's just hard to wrap my brain around the idea that the motives were bad in the first place, that the motives were just money and not the improved welfare of the animals. You know, you we could we could debate and, you know, all day about whether there are, you know, it there's a benefit to a reform or not. Or if there's no benefit to reform because they're going to still get killed anyway. To me, that's a legitimate debate. If everybody is motivated by the by the welfare of the animals. But when the motivation is money, it renders the debate ir like irrelevant almost because they're not motivated by the welfare of the animals. So you can't even engage in a discussion if that's not the motivation. Ugh, maddening. Right, which renders it completely beside the point, like irrelevant. You know, I, I'm not sure what the word is, but what's the point? If they're just going to eat another animal product, then what's the point? Turkey Sandwich Tuesdays. You hear the word humane society and you assume the best, Bob. It's human nature. You know, as cynical as I am, yeah, 
as cynical as I am, I can easily fall victim to to the shenanigans, for lack of a better word, crimes or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so it's easy to understand why people who have full time jobs and are raising kids, they don't have the time to to investigate and to consider the things that you're that we're discussing right now. And HSUS and other sort of dishonest groups are relying on that uh, ignorance to continue to raise money. It's just a pernicious cycle. Uh, and Right. That is shameful. Yeah. Right. It's the same as the ASPCA commercials that I see on CNN every three seconds, you know, with those animals in cages. But if you were to call ASPCA, I mean, it's a whole different subject. But if you were to call them and say that there's an animal tethered in the backyard next door, try getting them to come address it. You know, it's very, very maddening to see those commercials. Right. I don't think so. No, just please, if you if uh, please visit helpthechimps.org and um, and, you know, and uh, and learn what's, you know, though, that was why I came on your show today. And I just want people to 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 support the whistleblowers and to learn the truth about HSUS. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me on and for, you know, for for uh, for being a pioneer in the movement. We, you know, need more of you. So thank you. <laughs> All right, take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.
Our thanks to Donnie Moss for a very interesting discussion on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden today. Uh, please consider supporting this program with a tax-deductible donation. You will find the donate button at GoVeganRadio.com. Over 600 archived programs there. Remember, this is the first vegan talk show ever to infiltrate mainstream media. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say where we were in mainstream media back back when it was good. Back when there you might have found a shred of truth in mainstream media. Uh, we started the show back in 2001, and you know how, how do we stop? We can't stop. You know we have a commitment to the animals, and we'll keep it going until it's a vegan world. And for it to be a vegan world. We need you to go vegan if you have not done so already. It's the most important thing you can do for the environment and for your health and for the animals, the reason I first started on this path here. And uh, the animals in your life can be vegan too, the dogs and cats in your life, with evolution, vegan dog and cat food, the love of my life, Daisy, certainly loves her evolution every day. I don't know what Eric Weissman, the chef over there at Evolution, put it together to where Daisy looks forward to it every day. Evolution, vegan dog and cat food for all stages of life. There's an organic line now. No chemical preservatives or mold inhibitors, uh, which uh, may have been found to be carcinogenic. Uh, discounts for first-time consumers, uh, first-time customers. And discounts if uh, you order on the first Tuesday of the month. And you can go to PetFoodShop.com, PetFoodShop.com to order. Or uh, to get your discount, better yet, make a phone call to Eric Weissman at 651-492-2190. That's 651-492-2190. Family-owned, three decades, uh, no recalls ever. Um, There's canned food, there's kibble from Evolution. And I also want to thank Vegetarian House, vegan restaurant in San Jose for its ongoing support of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Please support your local vegan restaurants. Let's keep them in business. Uh, If you can get takeout from them, please do so. Um, You can get takeout from Vegetarian House. Go to VegetarianHouse.com. You can order online, pay online. They'll bring uh, the food out to you, uh, to your car. You can order groceries. And again, if you're not in the San Jose area, please do support your local vegan restaurants. Uh, There's a campaign called uh, Support and Feed. You can check that out, see who's involved with that. That's a wonderful campaign that's uh, feeding those in need, feeding them food from local vegan restaurants. So, okay, well, I want to thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. And again, if you can support this program with a tax-deductible donation, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And also, check out the archives over 600 shows at GoVeganRadio.com.